Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, He calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lynn. Indeed, this is the word of the Lord, and I would encourage you, if you would like to, to pick up a copy of the the New Testament or the Bible in front of you, and you can follow along in our reading uh, this morning. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we give you thanks that you are here with us. You promised, Lord, you would never leave us or forsake us. You promised that the entrance to your word gives light. And in a world that is filled with darkness, Lord, we need your light. Come light our lives with your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When Judith and I lived in North Carolina many years ago, we at that time were attending the Blacknall Memorial Presbyterian Church, and I don't remember how it all came together, but they sponsored us to attend the, an evangelism training event that was happening up in Asheville at the Billy Graham Evangelism Center. And we had the privilege of joining 
driving up to that beautiful spot of ground and spending several days there learning about evangelism for the times in which we were living. And to this day, some of the principles that we learned there continue to shape us. One in particular that stands out to me, I remember the trainer looking at this group of leaders and saying to us that the folks who make the best evangelists, he said, are the new believers. That first blush of knowing Christ as Lord and Savior, these individuals are more prone to go back to their networks of friends and loved ones and tell them the story of what Jesus is doing in their lives. But then he cautioned. He said, over time, though, over time, as these new believers become more involved in the local church, something happens. They lose many of those contacts and friendships that they had, and they develop more friends within the local congregation. In fact, over time, he says, what happens, these new believers no longer have friends who need Christ. All of their friends are in the church. And so these folks become insiders and they lose their passion to share Christ with others. I've also had the privilege over many, many opportunities, whether in the church I've pastored or special events I have taught, courses we have provided, training and equipping events to to equip followers of Jesus to winsomely and joyfully share their faith with others. And I remember close to the end of one, maybe it was a six-week training I was doing, and the, the assignment was to share your story with someone who doesn't know Christ, a friend who doesn't know Christ. And this lady raised her hand and she said, well, that's going to be difficult for me to do, she said, because I don't know anyone who doesn't know Christ. All of my friends, she said, are in the church. And I thought to myself, that's not good. In our text this morning, Luke 15 and verse 1, it says that now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. Jesus dined with sinners, but Jesus didn't sin with sinners. Jesus lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world. And some people call this the Jesus paradox. Jesus didn't have the problem that so many of our congregations have and our, our, our churches have where we don't have any friends who are non-Christians. His contact list included people who didn't follow him. For example, Luke 7 and verse 34, the critics, and they were just with him all the time. They called him a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus didn't care about reputation in that way. In Luke 5, verse 32, he said to those who vilified him for eating and drinking with tax collectors, he says, look, I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. And then in Luke 19 and verse 10, the religious insiders, they pounced on him again for going into the house of Zacchaeus, a one percenter, 
If Zacchaeus lived in our day, we would call him a one percenter who made his wealth working for the Romans, working for the oppressors. Jesus pushed back on their criticisms and he said, look, the Son of Man came to seek, to seek out and to save the lost. And then here in our text, if you look at verse 2, they again criticize him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, we're told, were grumbling. Grumbling. And you could just hear them. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. How horrible. And so Jesus shares a parable to explain his actions, to explain what really matters to him. And I call it the values. Here you find the values of the kingdom of God, what's really important in the kingdom of God. One of the values that we can immediately identify is that people who are lost matter to God. Some call this parable the parable of the lost sheep. I prefer to call this parable the parable of the seeking shepherd because the focus is clearly on the character of the shepherd, not on the behavior of the lost sheep. Wouldn't you agree? It's not the parable of the lost coin. That's not the focus. It's about the woman, the woman's intense search for the coin. And so the punchline is not the lost sheep being found. The punchline is not the lost coin or the lost son. Really, the punchline is that there's a loving God who is looking for you. He loves you. But I want you to know this morning that these stories make no sense until we can address three critical questions. Here's the first question. What kind of community are we? So again, at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina, we learn that the longer people like us are ensconced in congregations, we risk losing sight of what the kingdom of God values. And so the question is, are we an insider community? A church becomes an insider community when they are annoyed with people coming, strange people. They avoid people who are yet to believe. Their contact list, it's only people who are part of that community. A congregation becomes an insider community when it is only for people who look like them and act like them and know all the insider language. A congregation becomes an insider community when the Great Commission becomes a slogan. It's something we believe in it, but it's not a way of life. And I think for many reasons, these scribes and Pharisees represent religious insiders. They believed that it was improper to associate with, with ungodly people. The rabbis were not allowed to teach such persons. Are we an insider group? That's the first question we've got to answer. Second question we have to answer is, do we believe that people are lost? Do we believe people are lost? Now, 
That's a sticky word to speak about today because when people hear the word being lost, they immediately push back and say, well, you're just self-righteous and you want to impose your religious views on other people. I am fine. But what does it mean to be spiritually lost? One line in that very familiar hymn that everyone sings, Amazing Grace, says, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And we may sing this song. Many of us have sung this song a thousand times without realizing what does lost really mean. First, I believe, let's just acknowledge it. Jesus used these, this language. He used it to refer to people who didn't know that God's Messiah was on the scene. The good shepherd was here. People who were, who were living their lives oblivious to the person and the work of Christ that was among them. They hadn't found eternal life yet. Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. Seek and to save the lost. And those who are spiritually lost then are separated from God. They are, they are unable, and this is really important to hear, people who are lost are unable to find their way back to God on their terms. To be lost then is to wander away, unable to find the way back. A hiker gets lost when the hiker takes the wrong path and does not know how to get back on the right path. A child can get lost when the child wanders away from mom or dad and doesn't know where they are. Human beings are spiritually lost because we have wandered away from God and we do not know how to find God. And so if the answer to the first question is no, we're not an insider community, and if the answer to the second question is yes, there are people, people who are disconnected from God, then the third question becomes even more relevant. It becomes extremely relevant. And the question then is, what do you value? So we're not an insider community. We know that there are people, even in my own family, who are trying to find their way and they're lost. And so the question is, what do you value? And in many ways, that's the summation of the questions Jesus asked. In Luke 15, verse 4, you'll see it there. And in Luke 15, verse 8, in verse 4, Jesus says, Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And the assumption is, if you're a shepherd and you care about your sheep, you could see the heads nodding, of course, Jesus, we're going to go find it. Or look at the question in verse 8. Or a woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. And so what Jesus is saying is it comes down to what you value. It comes down to what is priority, what is worthy. And so if the thing is important, you've lost your keys, you've lost your wallet, you've lost your phone, like me, at one time, you lost your ear pods, and you search, and you search, and you search until the thing is found. You do that because the thing is valuable. And so the point of the parable, the point of the parable is that the gospel is medicine. It's the light 
to lead us back to God. And that's what Jesus did over those three years of his ministry. He trained his disciples to find lost people. And he said to them, you follow me, follow me, and I will train you to fish for people. And that's why Jesus came into the world to save the lost. That's why he wept over Jerusalem. He wept over Jerusalem. That's why he told his followers to pray to the Lord of the harvest that people would be sent out to find the lost. That's why Jesus spent time with the outsiders and he criticized the insiders. And after his resurrection, he gave one last command that is still alive for the churches today. He said, go then and make disciples of all the nations. The parable then is showing us the heart of God for individuals. People are valuable to God. And I say that, and I'm gonna say it again, people, are valuable to God. Each person is unique. Each person is crowned with dignity and value and worth. And Jesus asked the question, a question that we're gonna look at at some point, what does it profit then to gain the whole world and lose one's life? What can we give in exchange for one's life? And the answer is nothing. In the eyes of God, no one is hopeless, no one is useless, no one is, 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 dis is disposable, no one is irredeemable. Jesus, in, these parable, in this parable, wants us to know that. And so again, what do you value? We're not an insider church. We believe people are lost, so what do you value? Value. This question is both an institutional question and it is a personal question. It's a corporate question and it is an individual question. Corporately, what it means for churches like us, we need to look at our, look at our budget, look at our operating budget and say, if we really value lost people, how is that being expended in our budget? If we care about lost people, what am I personally doing? One of the things I love about living in this new community, every week, we had read an article not long ago where it says, when you move to a new community, if you want to meet people, go out in your front yard and start working in your front yard and people will come. So we said, let's try it. And people are coming over and they're meeting us and we're meeting folks and we're learning the names and then we go back and we begin to pray for them. When they hear that I'm a pastor, suddenly the conversation gets to a different level. What do you value? How are we aligned with the things we value as a church? And so I have five closing points of action I want to leave with you. 
if you really value what Jesus values, then here are some things you're going to do and I am trying to do. Number one, we're always reminding ourselves, I was once lost, but now I'm found. We don't say that with arrogance. We say it with humility. We say it with gratitude. We say it so as to remind ourselves, there was a time when I didn't know my left from my right. I didn't know how to find God. God found me. And what that does, it keeps your heart tender to people who are lost. Second thing I would encourage you to do, and I'm trying to do it, is to pray. And so as we meet these people in our community, even this morning, we're recalling the names of the families that we're meeting. We're praying for them. Jack Miller, this is a good book to read. A good book to read, guys. Outgrowing the ingrown church. And here's what he says. He says, look, there's a difference between what he calls frontline prayers and maintenance prayers. Maintenance prayers are inwardly focused. And so we pray, if it's a church, we're going to pray about our budget. If it's a church, we're going to pray about our building. We're going to pray about us. For a family, we're going to pray about our own needs. Me, myself, mine. Maintenance prayer. God bless our church. God bless my family. God keep us safe. We pray about ourselves. Maintenance prayer. Are those prayers wrong? No. But we can't just pray maintenance prayers. He says, outward Outwardly focused churches, they pray frontline prayers. And here's what frontline prayers involve they're confessing sin. I'm a sinner. They seek humility. They pursue the lost. They yearn to know God face to face. They want to encounter God's glory. It's outwardly focused. Third thing we're trying to do. We're new to the community we're living in, but we're thinking about it already. We're imagining creating space in our lives so that we can break bread with our neighbors and invite them over, have a cup of coffee with folks who are yet to believe. This gets us out of being an insider group. There's a book I started reading last night. It says, the gospel comes with a house key. Rosaria Butterfield. Create space in your life where you include others who don't think like you, who don't believe like you, and you truly want to show hospitality. And then tell your story. You know, Christians are afraid, and I get it. Christians are afraid to be known publicly as followers of Jesus. If you're looking for something to read, you can read Colin Hansen's biography of the late Tim Keller. And there's a line in the book that caught my eye and I thought I would share it with you where Keller says, as he came to New York City, that many skeptics living in cities know Christians. They just don't know they know Christians. And so then these folks who don't know that they know Christians, they persist in their media-driven stereotypes, their tropes, their negative thinking about Christians. And so Keller says to the, he writes, if our church is to grow, we have to come out of hiding. 
In fact, he used a stronger phrase. He said, come out of the closet. The people who know you, who don't know you are a Christian, what would it look like to invite them into your story? And then the last thing you can do, and we're trying to do it as we meet new people, say, where are you pastoring? National Presbyterian Church. Oh, and I'm not sure what that O means. But I said, well, you should come some Sunday. You bet, we're going to come. National loves Jesus. That's one thing I know. The longer I'm here, we value reaching people who are yet to believe, whether in our community or even in farther places. The presence of Christ is working among us, and we want people to know that this church bows to Jesus, not to a party, not to the party of the elephant or the donkey. We want people to know that we bow to Jesus, that we love our city, that knowing Jesus makes a difference in every area of life. I want you to try it. I want you to try it. I want you to remind yourself every day, Lord, thank you that you found me. I want you to pray. I want you to pray those, not maintenance prayer, but pray those frontline prayers. I want you to create space in your life where people who don't think like you and believe like you can still be friends with you. I want you to tell your story. And I want you to be invitational. People are lost. Almighty God wants to work through you and me to help them find the way home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the people of God say, Amen. Would you just pray with me for a minute here? Lord, again, we here at the National Presbyterian Church, dear God, are grateful that you found us. And when you found us, you didn't berate us. You picked us up. You had a smile on your face. You put us on your shoulders and you brought us home. We thank you, Lord, for the joy that's in heaven when the lost comes home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.